Friends, it's a gift to be together in this way. My name is Anna. I'm one of the pastors at Pillar. And this summer, we've been given the freedom to choose the passages that we get to preach on. So I've been working my way through Ephesians 2, preaching for our warehouse community. And I want to share one of those sermons with you now. The last Ephesians 2 sermon took us through verses 1 through 7. And we imagined together the reality of our past, present, and future life with God. Life with God in Christ. You were dead. You've been made alive together with Christ and raised with Christ. And there's also a coming future of hope with Christ. Today we're going to dive in together to verses 8 through 10. But before we do that, I want to share with you a story, a story that I think represents the beauty of Ephesians 2. Last summer, in May, after my year of seminary had ended, I got to go to Beaver Island, Michigan. I wonder if you've been there. It's off the coast of Charlevoix. And I got to go there with my best friend from college, roommate of four years, and her parents. And there are a couple ways you can get to Beaver Island. As we went there, we took a ferry. You start there in the harbor at Charlevoix and make your way to the island. But on our way back, we got to take an airplane. And it was beautiful. I'm a little bit afraid of heights, to be honest. So I wasn't looking forward to the airplane ride. But as we made our way up into the sky, we saw the oh-so-familiar land of the Mitten, West Michigan, Charlevoix in particular, from a completely new perspective. It was land that we knew, but from a bird's eye view. I think that's what Ephesians offers to us a bird's eye view of the truest story of the whole world, a story that is drenched in grace all the way through. Verses 8 through 10 in particular of Ephesians 2 tell us of God's beautiful grace for us, and they remind us that none of our salvation or life with Christ is up to us. So listen with me again to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and and listen for a bird's eye view of the truest story about you and about God that's completely drenched in grace. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in in which you once lived, following the course of the world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of the flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, for we were all once children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. And raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the ages to come, he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Listen to verses 8 through 10 one more time. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our very way of life. So here's the direction we'll go together this morning. We'll begin by way of a very literal reading of verses 8 through 10. Then we'll enter into some self-examination. And lastly, we'll imagine together a certain way of life that God is calling us to. First, a very literal reading of verses 8 through 10. It would be easy to overcomplicate Ephesians 2 and avoid its clear good news. And I think perhaps unintentionally, implicitly, we edit these verses to include our true beliefs about our own contribution to salvation and life with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, except all those times you volunteered in church really helped God love you more. Not the result of works so that no man can boast, except you should be proud of the times that you were really a dutiful son or daughter. That helped God see that he could really love you and count on you. Does this sound familiar? For we are what he has made us, Well, yes, sort of, but with all the tools for self-improvement and wellness at our fingertips, surely we must be a little bit self-made too, right? It can be so easy, and I do this too, to add our little asterisks, our little edits and caveats and exceptions to the truly good news, full-stop good news, of grace to us in Christ Jesus the audacity of God to make our salvation and belovedness entirely his own project, entirely his own responsibility, entirely his own pure gift to us, it's shocking to us. And it's so counter to the rituals and patterns that we've been given. It's so fresh and new and free compared to the world's scripts of earning and striving and measuring up and never being enough. So to hear this message that this salvation from God for a life of love with Christ is totally and entirely pure gift, not our own doing so that no one can boast, this simple, tracks can, this simple truth can stop us in our tracks and take a minute to digest. And so that's why I'm suggesting a very literal reading of verses 8 through 10. Listen to this from Dietrich Bonhoeffer on 
a heartfelt approach to scripture. The word of scripture should never stop sounding in your ears and working in you all day long, just like the words of someone you love. And just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That is all. Then ponder this word long in your heart until it has gone right into you and taken possession of you. That's so good. What would it look like for the words, by grace you have been saved through faith? This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What would it look like for those words to take possession of you? Friends, I want you to listen again to these words, and I want, you to, cha I want to challenge you to accept them as they are, as true words from God, true words from someone who loves you and someone who you love. God's words to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not the result of works so that no one can boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Could it be true that your salvation and life with Christ are not up to you, but entirely up to God. I dare you to believe it. Now, let's embrace some self-examination together. What in this passage is challenging for you to believe today? I don't know what in your story, what shame or sadness or pain might make it hard for you today to believe that these words are completely good news for you personally. So what in this passage is challenging for you to believe today? That, that being made right with God is not your own doing? That God would actually extend grace to you? That you are what God has made you? That God created you intentionally and purposefully in Christ Jesus? Or that God has gone before you providentially in faithfulness and prepared a way of life. And friends, I want to suggest that even in the places in your heart where it's challenging to believe the utter giftness of this good news of salvation, even in those places, it's in those moments that God is sowing deeper faith in you. Because your faith isn't even up to you. It's a gift from God. In the parts of your heart where it's most challenging to believe that your salvation is a gift, God is giving you more and more faith as a gift. It's all a gift. Listen to this from the Belgic Confession. This is Article 22. We believe that for us to acquire the true knowledge of this great mystery... The Holy Spirit kindles in our hearts a true faith that embraces Jesus Christ with all his merits and makes him its own and no longer looks for anything apart from him. For it must necessarily follow that either all that is required for our salvation is not in Christ or if all is in him, then those who have Christ by salvation, by faith, 
then those who have Christ by faith have his salvation entirely. Therefore, to say that Christ is not enough, but that something else is needed as well, is a most enormous blasphemy against God. For it then would follow that Jesus Christ is only half a savior. And therefore, we justly say with Paul that we are justified by faith alone or by faith apart from works. Friends, Christ's benefits are fully yours, fully mine, fully ours as a body of believers. And they're more than enough to absolve us of all of our sins. Thanks be to God. I dare you to believe it. So we've entered into a very literal reading of verses 8 through 10. We've done some self-examination together to see where in our hearts is that really challenging for us to believe. And lastly, we're going to imagine together the certain way of life that Christ is calling us to, this way of life in which God has prepared good works beforehand for us. Friends, we're invited to a way of life. And it's a slow, steady pilgrimage with Jesus during which we grow more deeply into who we already are, created in Christ Jesus, people who are raised with Christ and sent into a particular way of life that is marked by goodness, good works. It's the opposite of legalism. It's a whole program of goodness that God has inaugurated and invites us into. I want to read you a quote from a book I've been reading this summer. It's from a book called Letters to a Young Pastor, which I think is fitting. Eugene Peterson wrote these letters to his son, Eric, as Eric was growing into his own pastoral identity. And I chose this passage for a couple reasons. I'll share it with you afterwards. It reminds me of the phrase from this passage that we are what he has made us and we're created for goodness, and this goodness is not legalistic at all. It's actually a whole way of goodness that God has already started. So listen to this. This is Eugene writing to Eric. I am preparing an address right now. Mulling it over is more like it, and I think I want to make a point of what seems to me is characteristic in the American church today, namely trivialization. Everything seems so trivialized. Fads spring up like mushrooms. Seeker church, emergent church, megachurch, and on and on, and a lot more that I haven't heard of, I'm sure. Where are the pastors and congregations who just want to understand who and where they are and study how to be faithful to who and where they are? I, in fact, know quite a few of them, and so do you. But there are so many others who show no evidence of being grounded. Because the world is in crisis, they think they have to fix the crisis. The consequence is that they fritter away their vocations and the gifts, needs, and opportunities that are right on their doorsteps. Have pastors ever been so bombarded by analyses of the culture and answers on how to package the gospel to fix it? Maybe if they would all go into the wilderness for three months, not read their emails, announce a moratorium on all conventions and conferences, take a deep, long, prayerful time of doing nothing, maybe some equilibrium might return. I picked this passage for a few reasons. The first is, 
I love this part. Where are the pastors and congregations who just want to understand who and where they are and study how to be faithful to who and where they are? That can look so many different ways. Pillar's context is going to be really different than another church's context in a different place. But who are we? We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And, and where are we? We're in the city of Holland. This is where God has led us and where God continues to grow us and shape us. For we are what he has made us. It's a slow, steady faithfulness. Friends, that's our calling, to grow more deeply into who we already are, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The whole program of good works and goodness, God has inaugurated and we're invited to participate in. Second, I picked this passage because he really clearly says that we don't have to fix the world, and that is so refreshing. So much of Ephesians 2 is past and present tense. Look what God has done. Look what God is doing now, and we're invited into it. It's not up to you to fix the crisis of the world or to usher in salvation. Christ has already done that and will make all things that are still broken new and right and whole one day. And so God is calling us to steady, slow faithfulness that he enables by the power of the Holy Spirit every step of the way. Third, I picked this passage because at the end there, I think Eugene speaks to the beauty of sabbatical rhythms, both in the long term, like Pastor John is experiencing right now, and in the short term, as God invites us to weekly and daily habits of rest and reflection. These are habits that lead us to deeper assurance of God's grace for us because they're moments in time where we pause, where we halt our productivity, and where we rest in the grace that Christ's work has accomplished all for us, and any of our vocational contributions are in response to what God has already done. So this is a small challenge to enter into weekly Sabbath rest because it's a time when we remember that it's not up to us. Take a break. God is in control. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Speaking of sabbatical rhythms, I'm thinking of my friend Sam Starks and Teddy Sherman, both of whom worship at the warehouse. Teddy and a group of his West Ottawa High School Young Life friends went on a Young Life wilderness trip out in Colorado a couple weeks ago, and Sam went along as a leader. And I'm excited to hear more about their trip. They're back now. But it was a time in the wilderness to get away, to encounter God, to absorb the beauty of creation, similar to my trip to Beaver Island, and to experience, wow, the, the grace that our world is drenched in and, and the grace that we have to experience God's beauty in creation in a moment of, wow, it's not up to me. God is sustaining all things by his word and by his spirit. I'm going to end with a prayer this is a liturgy that comes from a book called Every Moment Holy, and it provides words for certain longings and moments in time that can be marked by prayer. This is a liturgy in a section about sorrow and lament. It's a liturgy for those who have not done great things for God, 
I'm going to invite Jenna up to help me read it. And as you listen, think about where in your life you feel that you're not enough or that you haven't done enough for God. And receive these words as comfort and truth that actually your entire salvation and life with Christ is shaped and inaugurated and finished by the love of God in Christ for you. It's not up to you. So hear these as good news. How many times have I been told, O oh Christ, by well-meaning people that it is my destiny and my charge to go out into the world and do great things for you? How many times in response have I prayed earnestly, asking that you would bring such things to pass, that you might use me mightily for the work of your kingdom? How many times have I then waited expectantly and waited and waited for that great thing, whatever it may be, to be made obvious? How many times have I then felt the gradually settling weight of disillusionment of disappointment and confusion when no great thing materialized, when no life-changing opportunity suddenly arrived at my doorstep, when no such moment of call or clarity was ever manifest at all. In the confused afterglow of those receding anticipations, I am always faced again with the unglamorous reality of my own life of my ongoing failures simply to love well the people around me, and of my own ever-present struggle even to desire and to pursue a path of righteousness and obedience in my own small daily choices and habits. I am faced again with the same litany of tired, old temptations towing their attendant shames, and in such times I am left, O Lord, wondering if I have somehow missed your call completely and whether I just might as well abandon this pilgrim path entirely, for I fear that you must see me as I see myself, unfit for any service to you or to your people or to this world. So tell me, my God, where is the disconnect of that life rife with breathtaking demonstrations of your power that I am told should be the hallmark of my life, my walk with you? Where is the disconnect between those fantastic notions and the reality of my actual life, which is filled with petty frustrations, mundane responsibilities, and constant reminders of my own failure to wear well the name of Christ? Was it wrong that I should even desire to do great things for you, Jesus? Am I amiss to plead that I might be mightily used in your works? Do I need more faith? more righteousness, more of your spirit? Or have you simply judged me unworthy of your service? Where, oh Lord, do I go from here? Hear these words of truth. Oh, child of God, listen well and be comforted. He has never judged you unfit for any service he has called you to. For it is in Christ's righteousness he has clothed you, and his measure of greatness has never been your own. If you would pray to do great things for your God, then you must pray such prayers without regard for how they should be answered. Pray them knowing that in his true and holy reckoning, 
such greatness will most often be expressed in a long practice of humble and sacrificial servanthood, not in any pursuit promising a rise to power, position, or prestige. His might is most often displayed as the grace that cradles and transcends our brokenness and poverty of spirit. If you would be so broken that the light of his grace might be more visible within you, shining from your chipped seams and shattered fragments, then by all means make such earnest requests of him. Make them with sincerity and without reservation. But if the root of your prayer is rather some desire for a heightened prominence or sense of accomplishment and worth, either in your own eyes or in the eyes of others, then it would be better not to pray such prayers at all. Examine well your heart and motives before asking that his greatness be displayed in your life. When he answers, it will not be on your terms. For it is not you that will do any great thing for God, but God laboring in you and through you, who will greatly accomplish his own good purposes according to the workings of his sovereignty and love. Be liberated now from this burden of believing that anything depends upon you, and so be liberated at last to give yourself to his joyful service in grateful response for the grace he has lavished upon you. You have till now been too invested in the results of your own efforts, as if those outcomes were a thing you could ever know or measure in this life. Be invested instead, child, in simple obedience to your king, in long faithfulness to his call, shepherding daily those gifts and tasks and relationships he has entrusted to you, regardless of outcome and appearances. He will bring all things right in his way and in his time. All he asks is your willingness. Your heart is in his hands. Your ways are in his hands. Your days are in his hands. Be content in the station he has appointed you to in this season, and yet be ever ready to move at the impulse of his love. Tend well those things that are before you, however humble they may be, and he will lead you in time to other good works he has appointed for you. Whether big or small is of no matter. He attaches no numbers to your service. It is your heart and faithfulness he appraises. Seek not your own glory. Seek God and his glory will be seen in you, radiant in humility and in the strength of his might made manifest even in your brokenness, evident even in the smallest of services rendered unto him or offered in his name, even though they be seen by none but you and him, your reward is secure. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.